you would, you can uh, turn in your in your Bibles to Isaiah 6 again. Okay, We'll be there for just a few moments here and there, but we're going to use that as our springboard today. Over the, the past so many months, we have been going through the, uh, the topic of knowing God. Knowing God. And, uh, and as we've gone through, we, last week we came back and we re- revisited the original quest, or two weeks ago, we, no, yeah, two weeks ago, we came back and visited the, the original message, and that is the quest to know God, and, and challenged us again, and as far as the 10-week checkup, where have we been in this process of knowing God? Have you been seeking to spend time with the Lord? Have you been seeking to grow in His grace and in His knowledge? As we've gone through the, the, the subject, we have looked at the existence and exclusiveness of God, that God is, that makes sense to us, but that he is also the only God. We live in a pluralistic society, a multicultural society that says there are multiple gods, that Allah is a God, that Confucius is a God, that Buddha is a God, and so on and so forth, but we know that that is not true, but that there is only one God, and that is the the God Yahweh, who revealed himself as Yahweh, and that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who has incarnated himself, that was Jesus, and uh, who has borne our sins and died for us on on the cross, and who was resurrected, and that is, he is God and God alone. We also then talked about the composition of God. And so as I even talked about the existence of God, I referred to the Father, I referred to Yahweh, I also referred to the fact that he incarnated himself. And so we know that God is one God. So we see in the Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But we also know that within the Achad of God, the oneness of God, that God is, um, in the Godhead, that there is a multitude, if you would, three persons in, in how he's revealed himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we believe in one God. We are monotheistic, though we are accused at times of being tritheistic. We are not polytheistic nor tritheistic. We are monotheistic, meaning we have one God who has revealed himself in three persons, in three ways, the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit. We then began looking at the the attributes of God. First, we looked at the natural attributes of God. Then we looked at the, 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 um, I put physical there, but I actually meant the, um, uh, now my mind just, totally one off, the um, vocational attributes of God. So put vocational there in your, in your thought process, forget the physical side. Um, we talked about the natural attributes. We talked about that God is sovereign over all things, that he is, he is the one who is totally sovereign. And then when we went into the vocational attributes, we talked about that how God is known by the works that he has done. First of all, we said that he is the creator. We also said that he is the savior. And we also said that he is the, anybody remember? the judge he's the judge and that's why he's a savior because he's also the judge and so today we want to begin looking at that third grouping of attributes and that is his moral attributes his moral attributes and that is the attributes which refer more to his character his character and the way he conducts himself and his conduct now I say that and I'm going to also tell you though that as we go into this first moral attribute I see it almost, really, in the light of a natural attribute. Because today we want to look at the holiness of God. The holiness of God. And the holiness of God, I believe, is the overarching attribute, if you want to call it moral attribute. It is the overarching moral attribute of God. It is the essence of God. God is holy. And so first, in this discussion of the holiness of God, we want to consider um, God's holiness, and we want to consider the, the definition, right off the bat, of what it means for God to be holy. Now, in the Hebrew, where we see this first, the word kadesh is the, is the word it's used, and you see it's kodesh, kadesh, kadash, and um, all variants of the same word being used for something that is set apart, something that is sanctified. In the, uh, the Latin, it comes over as the word sanctum, so if you know Latin, you can you can use that idea. But the idea is we use the word kind of talking about being sanctified and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And we, a lot of times, we refer to it as being, to being uh, pure or to be, to be um, morally pure. Well, that is a derivative of the word. The word in and of itself means to be set apart. Set apart. So though we're not in a big brick church building, okay, which is kind of nice because we know that we are what? We are the church, okay? But if we're in a big brick church building, you know, where we have rooms for everything, right? We would call this the what? The sanctuary. 
the idea is that it is the room that is what? Set apart. Okay? Now, we understand that things are called holy. We understand that they are set apart when they are referred to, specifically referring to who? God. God, the relationship to God is what makes it holy. Why? Because God is holy. Do you get it? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second here. But just by definition, the word then, chadesh, um, or chadesh, means to be sanctified or to be set apart. We see in um, Genesis 2, verse 3, I don't know where Leviticus 22 came from. It wasn't there when I previewed this. Let's, let's do something here. Devin, has that ever happened to you when you put it in a presentation? All of a sudden, something just pops in, and you're like, where did that come from? It's still there. I don't know where it's come from. Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 3. Let's turn in our Bibles to go back there. Okay? Keep your fingers in Isaiah 6. We're going to come back there. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, we, we read this verse talking about the, the, the Shabbat, the Sabbath day. And we read that God blessed the seventh day, and he what? Sanctified it. He what? He made it holy. Okay, that's our word there. He set it apart. He made it holy. He sanctified it because he rested from all his work which God had created. And so, in a sense, that's what our word being holy means. We understand what God did on the, for that seventh day, right? That he took the seventh day and he said what? This is different. It's special. I can't use the same word to define the word, though. So, so we can't define holy with holy. So, but he said it's set apart. It's a special day. This day is different than all the other days. Do you get it? So when we look at God, we understand what it means by God. Turn to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13. Beginning of verse 1, the context says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me, guess what word that is? That's our word for holy. Set apart for me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast. It is what? It is mine. So again, what does he mean when he says to consecrate it? He means what? That it is, yeah, set it apart. It is special. It's special. Leviticus 22 32 to 33, and this is how it's supposed to look. I'm not quite sure, again, where that Leviticus 22 is coming from. This is driving me bonkers. Anyways, you can read where it says, You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So what, what he says is, You shall not profane my what? My set-apart name, my holy name, my set-apart name, the name which is different from all other names, the name which is set apart from all other names. You shouldn't profane, you shouldn't misuse my set-apart name. But I will be what? Guess what? Set-apart. Again, this is our word for holy here again. I will be set-apart. I will be consecrated. I will be hallowed. I will be different among the children of Israel. I am Yahweh who what? Sets you apart. I'm the one who's going to consecrate you, make you different. I'm going to want be the one who sets you apart from all the other nations, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. We'll talk more about this concept next week. We're not going to get through this whole outline. So next week we're going to continue on with this message. And we're going to talk more about the I am the Lord who sanctifies you. But note what it says. Not only is God holy, but his name is holy. And not only is his name holy, but his people are holy. And the word means to be set apart, that God wants us to be set apart. Now, in this, looking at then the degree, the degree of God's holiness, the first thing I want to look at is the superlative nature. Now, back in Isaiah chapter 6, in Isaiah 6 and what we read this morning, that Isaiah's vision, in the year that King Uzziah died, that he saw Yahweh, he saw the Lord, lifted up high on his throne, and around the throne there were seraphim who were flying. And they had six wings, and with two wings they covered their eyes, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they did fly. And one cried to another, what? Holy, 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 right? Is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, understand it's saying that they're saying it to one another. This is, this is kind of like a, an antiphonal thing happening, going back and forth, and they're just crying out. This praise to God is just continually going on and is resounding, and it must be resonating. How do I know it's resonating? How do, how do I know that these voices are just thunderous with their praise? The foundations were trembled. The, the, the walls were trembling. There's some praise happening. When was the last time you were praising God and you felt the earth move underneath you? Not that, yeah, the book of Acts. They were, they were, they were praying, but when was that the last time it happened to us? I mean, the, 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 the apostles can say it happened to them, but when's the last time we were praying so seriously, we were worshiping God so, so fully that we, we felt that happening? Well, anyways, these, these seraphim are, are worshiping and praising God, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. Now, they didn't stutter. They didn't have a speech impediment. In the ancient languages, one of the ways of showing a superlative nature was to use repetition. And so Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus was saying, I earnestly mean this. This is truth. It's not just truth. It's truth. And so we say good, better, and best. And if you're around my house, you'll hear me say betterest and, and all other kind of stuff because I like to be very superlative. But, but we say good, better, and best. Well, in these languages, you would say somebody is holy. That meant that they were what? They were holy. They were set apart. But if I said that somebody was holy, holy, I meant that they were really set apart. And saying that God is Holy, holy, holy. What is being declared is that there is none like him in holiness. He is fully, utterly set apart. He is like none other when it comes to his holiness. Consider what we read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, when we read about the seraphim. Again, coming. It says they do not rest day or night, saying what? Holy, holy, holy. That antiphonal phrase going on and on. So as it was in the days of Isaiah, in the vision that he saw, so it is in the days of John with the vision that he saw. And we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Anybody know that? I bet you do. Come on. God is... No. God is light. Good. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This is one of the verses we memorize. Come on, y'all. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. How much darkness? None. How much is none? <laughs> none. Point zero 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 infinity. With a with does everybody know what the, the when you when you when you have a uh, uh, I love math, okay? I love math. When, 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 you have, when you have a number and you got that point zero zero, and they put a line over that second zero, does anybody know what that means? It continues. It keeps going on. It zeroes forever. And so, for example, if you have two-thirds, two-thirds is point six six with a line over the final six. A lot of times we think it's point six seven, but it's not point six seven. It's point six six with a line over the, the second six. That means it's point six 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 and it's continuing sixes all the way out. We say we can't do that, so we round it to say point six seven, but it's not. So God has point zero zero with the line over the second zero percent darkness in Him. That's a pretty pretty incredible tolerance, don't you think? I mean, think about here on the earth. Tolerance factors. We always put some kind of tolerance factor in. I mean, even if it's a 64th or a 128th on measurements. When we talk about pollution, we're not aiming at 0 .00 with a line over it, percent pollutants in the, in, the, in the atmosphere, are we? No. We just want so many, so many parts, and we're okay with that. Because then that's pure. That's pure. I mean, when you get pure water, is it totally pure? Now it is, if, depending on what they put it through, but still there's, usually they have a what? They have a standard. 
where they're allowing it to have so many particulates. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 90, 90, you know, the, they're allowed to have so much in it for it to be still considered pure. But for God, there's none. There's none. And he continues on, and this is for next week as well, but he continues on right after that. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. That's a pretty powerful statement. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The superlative nature or degree of God's holiness is that he is unlike any other. He is fully 100 set apart from anything that would be considered sin. Exodus chapter 3, 4 and 5, while you're there in the Old Testament, let's turn back to Exodus 3. So when Yahweh saw that he turned aside, that is Moses, turned aside to look, God called to Moses from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here am I. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is what? Holy ground. Why was it holy ground? Because God was there. Turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 5, where we read the same thing happening with Joshua as the captain of the Lord's army comes to him. Beginning of verse 13, it says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to meet him, went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of Yahweh, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his master, to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy. And so Joshua did so. God is so holy. God is so set apart. That wherever he is, get this, whatever he touches, it becomes set apart. And so God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. What happened? All the area around the burning bush became set apart. When the children of Israel were coming out of, out of Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai, Moses was allowed to, to, to scale Mount Sinai, but to the rest of the nation, they were told not to do what? Don't, touch, don't even set a foot on it. Because it was a holy mountain. It was a mountain that was set apart unto God. Isn't it interesting that when Isaiah, back in Isaiah 6, right? We just read that. When Isaiah sees the Lord and he, and he, and he, is cons and he sees the holiness of God, the first thing he does is say what? I'm undone. I'm undone. I mean, I, not just that I've seen the Lord, but it's the holy. He's set apart. He is so holy, 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 and I am such a sinner. I'm such a worm. I'm a man of unclean lips. So for Moses, God says, take off your feet. For Joshua, or take off your sandals. For Joshua, he says, take off your sandals because the place that you're standing is, is holy ground. Humble yourself in my sight. Reverence me beyond all other things, because God is, is holy. We want to then look at the supreme nature of God's holiness. And what do I mean by this? Well, God's, as I said before, I believe that God's holiness is the essence of who he is. It's the overarching of all of his, of his attributes. So God's power is a, a holy power. His love is a holy love. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. His justice is holy justice. Can you imagine what God would be like if God were not set apart? If God was not holy, holy, holy. What if God was, was holy, but he was, he, you know, he's holy according to our standards. He was, you know, um, 
85% holy. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, if somebody, somebody on the earth is 85% holy, 85% morally pure, 85% godly, we'd say, oh, that's a godly individual. He's got his faults, but he's a godly individual. What if somebody was holy, holy? What if they, were, they made the A standard? You know, they were 93% holy. You know, maybe they're 93.6% holy, you know. They had just a little over somebody else, you know. And we'd think, wow, this, this guy is really, you know. I mean, usually it's, I mean, the only time you see him flop is when he's sick. You know, when he's, you know, you've got a real good excuse for him not doing something. Maybe, maybe he was really pressured into to, to that lie, you know, and he had a good reason. There was a good reason for him to, to do that lie, whatever it was. What do we know about God? God lies not. How often does God lie? Never. See, God's 100% holy. He's holy, holy, holy. But what if God was like us, and God was just holy? Still set apart. Could you imagine what God's power would be like? What would we call him? How about a tyrant, a dictator, a tyrant? Think about it. Someone who has all-consuming power. He's omnipotent. We've already talked about this, right? Is there anything that God cannot do? other than what he's held himself back from doing? No. God can do whatever he chooses to do. God can snuff you out like that if he chooses to right now. And so you burped wrong with God. You, you sinned against God. You did something against God, and it made God mad. And for just this one moment, God says, listen, for 6,000 years, I've been holy, 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 but I deserve a good mad. I mean, it's my time, right? Have you ever done that? I, I had it up to here. You know, my eyes are now brown, and, you know, I'm just, I'm there, you know, and, and, and they're turning red. And so, have you ever said that to yourself? I deserve a, to be angry right now. I, I, des I deserve this. It's, it's, it's mine to be angry. And so God says, I deserve to be angry. And so just this once, boop, you're gone. Aren't you glad God's not like that, that he's not like us? I always say, you know, I, I'm glad I wasn't God because I don't know what I would have done if I was on the cross and everybody was mocking me. And I knew that I made them. I mean, I, I created these jokers. And they're standing there mocking me, spitting on me. They've just hit me. They've bludgeoned me. They whipped me. And now they got the audacity to say, oh, you say you're the son of God? Come on down and we'll believe you. I'll do better than that. A few years from now, you'll come in front of my throne. Anyways, you know. I mean, for me, I want to do what? I'm not even going to say you're going to come before my throne. I want to start doing what? You know? And I want to do it, I mean, I want to do it individually. I want to take them out one at a time, you know, so they can build, you know? And, if, and I can see the fear on their faces as they, as they begin to, and they go, oh, I was wrong, too late, boom, you know? But God's not like that. And aren't you glad that his love is not love like our love. We've talked an awful lot about love. We'll talk about it again in a few weeks when we talk about God's love. But there are three primary, other than story gay, story gay is a family kind of filial love, but there are three primary loves that go beyond that family concept. There's the eros, the phileo, and there's the agapao. Eros is, is selfish love. It's all about me. I love pepperoni pizza until I get heartburn, so therefore I don't love pizza, pepperoni pizza anymore. Now I'm just going to eat cheese pizza. Okay? And so a lot of people love their, their spouses that way. You know, they love them until all of a sudden the spouse makes them have indigestion. And they say, what? Time to get rid of that one. Get another one. And then it's phileo. It's a brotherly love. And it's like, I'll do anything for you. Well, except for when there's only one bowl of soup left. And I hope you can find some. So, I mean, I'll give you the shirt off my back as long as I have three in the closet. Make sense? I'll give you the shoes that I'm wearing knowing I have a better pair sitting over here. That's phileo. Agapao says, there's only enough soup for me or you. It's yours. I only have one shirt. But clearly, you need it more than I do. Shoes, I want you to have them. I want a picture of your feet, because you are worth more than I am. Now, could you imagine, though, if, if God didn't have that agapao love for you and I? If his love was just eros? If it was selfish? He made us for his own pleasure. I mean, the Bible says that, yes. I mean, yeah, made us for his pleasure. I mean, we'll read that in a moment as we go to Revelation 4. 
so he made us for his pleasure. And so therefore, it's, 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 it's all pleasure, it's all selfish pleasure, and, and God's just going to use us. Well, if that was the case, you would be zapped. Do you know one of the greatest verses in the Bible on the holiness of God, the set-apartness of God, is John 3.16? For God so loved the world, and that word so doesn't, isn't a superlative word. It's not meaning so loved the world. It's actually the word hutos in the Greek means in this manner. God in this manner loved the world. Now, it is superlative in how he did it, okay? But the word by itself doesn't mean so like in that way. It just means in this manner. So as the, as the serpent was held up in the wilderness, that comes from John chapter 3, just before that, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, okay? And so God in this manner loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's amen. That's exactly right. It's a great verse for little kids to know. It's a great verse for big kids to know, huh? Okay. And so, why do I say that's all about God's holiness, though? Well, clearly, if God had a wishy-washy love, if God had a watered-down love, like we have watered-down love, okay, we don't have the, we're afraid to spank our kids sometimes, God would have done what? Oh, but I love you. I love you. And so what? So just come in. Just come in. But you know what? God loves us more than that. God is so set apart that sin cannot be found in his presence. And so he found a way that you and I would be cleansed and we could be positionally holy, holy, holy. Isn't that awesome? You know what the word saint is in the New Testament? Come on, one of you Greek students. What's, what's the word for saint in the New Testament? Hagios. Hagios. And the ha- word hagios means holy, set apart. Practically, literally, the word saint should be translated holy one, sanctified one, set apart one. In the Greek, it's chasadaim. Chasadaim. Again, it's the word for to be set apart. It is the, the object of the loving kindness of God. Isn't that cool stuff? We are the holy ones of God. And when we talk about God's righteousness, we'll find out as well, but for here, that I don't stand before God in my own righteousness, do I? Whose righteousness do I stand in front of God with? Jesus Christ. It's his holiness. It's his righteousness. It's not my own. And so Jesus Christ's holiness is not just holiness, is it? And it's not just holy, holy. It's what? Holy, holy, holy. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. His wisdom is holy wisdom. If he wasn't holy wisdom, it would be flawed. It wouldn't be accurate. It wouldn't be 100% right all the time. His justice wouldn't always be just. But he is. He's holy, holy, holy. Now, application of God's holiness. We're not going to finish this. We're going to only do the first part today. And that is, first of all, that God's holiness is going to provoke me in my desire to worship him. If when I focus on God's holiness, when I truly look upon him and who he is, being holy, 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 it will give me the desire to worship God. Now, before we move on, consider Isaiah. Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. The first step of his worship, because we're going to be talking about praise in just a moment, but the first step of, of, of Isaiah's worshipful experience was repentance. Now, I'm not going to focus on that a whole lot right now. But you need to understand, before you can really, truly worship God, purely from the heart, you've got to be able to repent. Change the way you think. Turn from your wicked ways. 
So Isaiah, looking at the holiness of God, sees his own unholiness, his own unset-apartness, his own unconsecratedness, his own unsanctifiedness. Does that all make sense? And if you're sitting here today thinking you got it all together, it shows how far off you really are. There's one thing that every single one of us has in common. We're all sinners. Having the privilege of having the opportunity of being saved by God's grace. Grace is when he gives us something that we don't deserve. What I deserve for my lack of holiness, my lack of set-apartness, is to be separated from him forever. That's called hell. But as he did for Isaiah, he's, Isaiah is just filled with, with just full of remorse and regret and, and, and agony because he knows what God is now. And he realizes he has fallen so short of the mark of the glory of God. Yes? And God, by his grace, sends his servant, the angel, with a pair of tongs. Do you ever, do you ever picture? I mean, I, I like to picture some things in our Bible sometimes. So next time you want, you know, talking to the older ones, you know, you can go to the campfire and, you know, don't do that. Anyways, but kind of get an idea what it was like for Isaiah here, you know. I mean, the guy comes over with, with tongs with a burning coal and touches his lips. Rejoice, rejoicing experience man, here, right, right? Wow, praise God, you know, he burned my lips, man. <laughs> what was God showing him? Why, why did he burn his lips, if you would, seared his lips? Why did he touch the, the hot coals to his lips? Say again. Purification hurts. Cleansing. Why the lips? Because everything proceeds out of your mouth? Okay. What did Isaiah just say? I'm a man of unclean lips. God said, I'll clean those lips. Are you a person of unclean thoughts? Guess what? God can put those tongs inside your brain. You're a person of unclean wallet? An unclean schedule? An unclean TV, an unclean VCR, DVD, MP3 player. God can put the searing coals to any part of your life. All you have to be willing to do is say what? Lord, it's unclean. It's unclean. And I want it to be clean. So, there's that repentance that comes. And now Isaiah is ready to, to worship the Lord. And so in this concept of worshiping God, we read back in the book of Exodus chapter 15, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? The fact is what? There is no other gods. Who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Glorious in your set-apartness. Fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people for whom you have redeemed. You have guided them through your strength to your holy habitation. Does anybody know what was going on there? When he says you, you caused the earth to swallow them? Huh? Yeah. Well, no, not Nadab and Abihu. Those were the, the sons of, uh, of, of um, Aaron. They, good, Korah and Dothan, right, okay, the ones who were challenging. And, and, and Moses said, you know, if they just die a normal life, then I'm not a prophet. But if God does something that you've never seen before, then watch out. And so he told everybody, stay away from their tents. Now, we're told the people moved away. We wonder how many people kind of hung out with him, though, said, no, no, we're, we're, we're here. We're on, we're on his side. And that was the last thing they said. And the earth opened up in an earthquake fashion. 
coincidentally just met once twice. And they all went plummeting into the center of the earth while the earth closed back up, coincidentally, in that one spot. Good timing. God's got good timing. I mean, I just, it was amazing that for them to be standing in the right spot at the right time, you know, coincidence is incredible. Anyways, and so what does it provoke the people to do? To glorify God. To glorify God for his power, where he's able to open up the earth. No. To glorify God for his holiness. His holiness. What happened in the beginning of the church, Acts chapter 5, with Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira sold their property. And they brought the, the money to the church. They saw there were needs. We talked about this a little bit ago, how I really rejoiced in my, that testimony of how God provided the car and such. But, but here's the Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, bring it into today's, okay? They sold property. They got 100000 for it. Now, we don't know what they brought, but let's just say for a moment, using the illustration of the holy, 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 okay? Let's say they brought $90,000. No, let's say they brought $99,000. They were 99% holy. They sold it for $100,000. They brought $99,000, and God killed them. Peter said to, to Ananias, hey, is this everything you got? No, everything I got. He said, you're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And then later to the wife, he said, you're lying to God, to the Holy Spirit's God. You lied to God. You die for it. Now, I understand he hasn't killed us for our 99% holiness, but God showed right off the bat that things hadn't changed. How he thought way back in the days of, of Israel is how he thinks about the church as well and what he desires for us in holiness. I don't care if they would have brought $99,999 if they were 0.1% or 0.01% unholy. God's holiness is 0.00 with a line over it. You get it? What's my tolerance? How much darkness am I willing to, to allow? These people witnessed what God thought about those who rebel against God. Aren't you glad that God hasn't treated you like Dothan and Byron? But these people saw it, and they didn't just go, whoa, God, you are so cool with the power and everything else. They said, whoa, God, you are so holy. You are so set apart. Revelation chapter 4, again, we read the same section that there is about those, the seraphim that were flowing about, but you get the whole picture of the throne room of God. It says, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, and whenever, now get this, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the what? The 24 elders, the 4 and 20 elders, who are in a sense symbolic at this time of who? The saints. The saints of Israel and the church. I think 12, we, you know, we go back last year, and you can look at my message on this, and you can see what I'm doing here, but, but I believe it's the representatives of both Israel and the church here, but all the saints. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. They are created for your pleasure. But what caused them, what caused the saints to fall down and worship God? The expression of God's holiness. The seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy. We read um, in our desire to, to worship God in Psalms 30, verse 4, it says, sing praise to Yahweh, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. What does looking at God's holiness provoke in you? 
Does it, does it do anything to you? I mean, what do you think about when you read Isaiah chapter 6? Revelation chapter 4. Do you even meditate on it? Have you thought about it? Does it bring you tingles? I mean, I'm full of amazement thinking about the day when I'm going to die and I'm going to be in his presence. And people say, well, I can't wait till I get I can't imagine what it's going to be like, and I can't wait to get there because I know that this flesh of sin, this mortal will put on immortality, this corruptible will put on incorruption, and I look forward, I yearn for this sinful body to be gone and, and to be fully there in his righteousness and holiness. Not in my own, because of what I've done, but in his. And to be in his presence. But I know that even still in his presence, like those angels we saw in Isaiah 6 in Revelation chapter 4, they had six wings, two which they covered their eyes and two which they covered their feet. Get it? They're holy angels. They're set-apart angels. These weren't the ones who fell with Satan. These are the ones who chose to stay with God, and they still are covering their eyes. They're still covering their feet. They're not sinful things. But yet God is still holier than they are. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I know it's going to be phenomenal. And I know from the verses that we've memorized as well in 1 John chapter 3, right? That, that I'm going to behold him. And, and when I die, I'm going to be what? Like him, for I shall see him as he he is. Now we look through a, a mirror, yeah, a cloud, a, a veil. But that veil, the cloud, that mirror is going to be removed. And we're going to be in his presence. Today, while you're on the earth, though, you can have a grip of that holiness. You may not see it. You may not be in the presence, but you can imagine it. Because it's purer and brighter and more brilliant than anything that you've ever seen before. Have any of you ever seen magnesium when it's burning? Have you? I remember as a kid, we got some little pieces of scraps of magnesium. And watching, I, it was like, I can't, I can't look at it. It's kind of like the, 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 cons, the, um, the, what do you call it, the, the guys are doing the welding, the arc welding and stuff. They got to have that mask on. They can't look, or what? You can blind them. This God, man. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Sion. He is high above all peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And you see I have the parentheses, it. In the Hebrew, this is the third person. It means he, she, or it. What is the antecedent of that, of that pronoun? And that is his name. So I think it is holy. God's name is holy. Let your great and awesome name, it is holy. The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Why? He's holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies. In the ordinance he gave them, you answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them the God who forgives. Aren't you glad that the God who is holy, 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 who is set apart, who cannot have sin in his presence, is also the God who forgives. Though you took vengeance on their deeds, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. Why? For the Lord our God is, is holy. He's set apart. He's holy, holy, holy. Finally, in Revelation chapter 15, Verse 3 and 4 we read, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord our God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. What word is that, saints? Holy ones, set-apart ones. I love it. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments 
have been manifested. God alone is holy. And as we consider God's holiness, it ought to provoke us with a desire to worship him in the beauty of holiness. Now, the second thing it's going to provoke us to do, which we're not going to cover today, we'll, we're going to look at next week, is to have a desire to reflect him. We're told in the Bible by God to be holy, even as I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. What does it mean to you? How have you viewed God? Is your consideration of God consistent with Scripture? Is God that set apart to you? Is he holy? Holy, holy. Now, God is my Abba, and I have the relationship with God. I have been adopted. I am his child. And so I can have close fellowship with God, but I have to still remember that God is what? He's God. And he's holy, holy, holy. And there are too many times that I can treat God with contempt because of my feeling of proximity to God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. He's not being mocked. How do you view God? Secondly, what about that be holy to, to me, for I am the Lord am holy stuff? Does it apply to you? I mean, are you his child or not? If you're his child, then guess what? It applies to you. If you're not his child, don't worry about it. Because if you've sinned once, and everybody has, then you're condemned anyway. And I don't mean that rudely. I don't mean that cocky. I just, this is a fact. It doesn't matter how holy you are. You sin once. But for those who have been redeemed, for those who have accepted his salvation, his calling in your life is to be holy, to be Christ-like. That's the purpose for which he has called you, to be conformed to the image of Christ. If Christ is God on the earth, then what's the overarching, what's the, the essence of God's character or Christ's character here on the earth? He is holy. Holy, holy. I get so frustrated with myself. I'm going to say myself. I'm going to say with people. But myself is including. With my contentment and other people's contentment. With being partially holy. We went to baseball games yesterday at a Christian academy. A Christian academy. Who wanted to start everything off in prayer. Praise God for that. In the national anthem, that's a good thing too. And in the prayer, the guy who was doing the, the commentating on the game throughout the day, what, who was the announcer. He's a good announcer, by the way. But I imagine he's also the person putting on the, the music. Asked and God to bless the time and, and that we would do everything to glorify him, that the, the, the players would glorify him, that they would watch their attitude, they would glorify him, that the, the, that the, that the managers would glorify him, that they would watch their attitude, that the people in the, in the stands would glorify him and watch their attitude. And he plays ACDC! How can you play satanic rock music? Because it's baseball music. We've got to play Aerosmith. We've got to play all this trash that pumps you up, and that's not glorifying God at all. And we turn around and we say what? But it's baseball. I don't get the disconnect. You just said, God, be glorified. And I'm going to play Highway to Hell <laughs> at a Christian school. There's something wrong with the picture of Christianity in the United States, folks. Now, I don't know about your life, but God said he's holy, holy, holy. We're going to spend next week all on this. I expect nobody to be here. No, <laughs> Seriously, though, I'm not, I'm, 
And I want it for my life. I want it for my life. I want it for my life. And I know how easy it is for me to fail, but I know how miserable I am before God when I, when I, when I give in to myself. I can't say devil made me do it. He didn't make me do it. I did it myself. What's your view of God? Do you really care that he wants you to be holy? And finally, how bright's your light? How much darkness are you willing to accept? What's your tolerance level? Is it 0.01 unholiness in your life? 5%? 10%? No. I mean, what's an A? An A is what? 90%, right? I mean, weren't you parents? You'd love for kids to have straight A's, right? So 90% is an A. So 90% holiness. That's good. Is that God's standard? It's not God's standard. We're looking for the 100%. Now, I may not reach it here in the earth, but it still has to be my desire and my goal and to worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. But God, I am so grateful for your holiness that you are not like man. That you are set above, beyond all that there is. You are holy, holy, holy. And Lord, I've fallen so far short of your, your holiness, of your glory. I know that your glory is your holiness, is your set-apartness. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you have a holy love, that you want me to be in your presence. So you paid the penalty of my sin. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's not set apart, to you, they're not saved, they're not your children, Lord, that you would convict them of their sin and their need for you. Lord, for those who are your children and they're not convicted before of sin in their life, but Lord, today they've, you've brought to their awareness of darkness that is in them, whether it's small darkness, large darkness, it doesn't matter, it's still darkness. Lord, that they would confess that and seek your face in eradicating the darkness in their life. Lord, help us to to walk as light. Help us to be lights in this world. Glorifying your name. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.